Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the program, we're going to talk about the history of housing segregation here in Detroit. A new report out talks about how that history shapes the way we live right now. We're also going to talk with Kevin Boyle, uh, who has literally written the book on how redlining and housing segregation shaped early Detroit. We're going to try to tie those two things together, the history of housing segregation with that modern reality we live with. But of course, we do need to start the show today on a different note, and that is with the mass shooting in Parkland, Florida at a school yesterday. By some accounts, this is the 18th school shooting this year, 18 in 45 days. Think just for a second about that frequency, about that number, and what that means, and what it portends, perhaps, for the rest of the year. What's that going to look like by the end of this school year? What's that going to look like in the fall? But yesterday, when the news was breaking about this, I had a different experience with the whole idea of school shootings than I'd ever had before. I was in the car picking up my children from school when I first heard this news unfold. And so I was looking at my two children while I was listening to reports from Florida about the chaos that was unfolding, about parents scrambling to try to find their kids, about people going to the hospitals trying to learn whether their children were among the wounded or the dead. And it's just one of those moments when your throat tightens and the back of your neck starts to sweat and to burn. And when you think of what that might be like to be a parent looking for your child at a school where there's been a shooting, when you think of the horror that you would immediately plunge into if you discovered that it was your child who was one of the ones who was hurt or dead, you know, We debate all the time about whether these acts, which are so frequent right now in our society, we we talk all the time about whether they're terrorism and whether that word applies outside the context of political agendas. We once spent an entire hour on this show talking about that word terrorism and whether it applied to shootings like this. But today, I sort of feel like that argument is dissonant from the reality that we're all experiencing. Because what I experienced yesterday told me, showed me, that you can't argue about whether these acts are terrorizing or whether the violence we witness or experience is altering us, is changing our lives in a fundamental way. We are a different people because of the prevalence of guns and gun violence in this country. We are a more fearful people, a more anxious people, and today a more sorrowful people. And we are all those things to an extent that none of us deserves to be. Isn't that the dictionary definition of terror? Doesn't that make this absolutely wrong? You know, we also always talk about solutions when these things come up, but we don't do anything. We never change. We never change a thing. And 
I'm going to say this, and I'm not going to back away from it. We never, ever deal with the one thing that makes this country absolutely different from everybody else on this issue, and that is the prevalence and the ease of access to weapons of mass destruction. And that goes on for one reason only. It is because of the incredibly rich and powerful lobby that supports the gun industry, both manufacturers and distributors. Let's be clear. The NRA is not about preserving individual gun rights. It is protecting commercial gun makers and sellers. And in our country right now, their rights matter more than any of the rest of ours. Think about that. 17 kids are dead in Florida because of the rights of gun makers and gun sellers. Does that make any sense at all? If that doesn't move you to anger, I guess I don't know what would. So we're going to start today with you, the listeners, and your reactions to what happened in Parkland yesterday. We don't have any experts lined up to talk about this because we have had them on the show time and again, and we've heard what they have to say, and it never gets us to a new space. At this point, it's about us and you specifically. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to consider to stop gun violence from happening? Are you okay that we live in a country where a person can be shot to death, a child can be shot to death in their school, and what we say is this is the price of freedom? What do you make of this craziness? Do we have anything more to offer than, quote, thoughts and prayers? for the families and the communities who are suffering through these shootings all the time. Is this part of who we are as Americans and we can't do anything about it? Or as Americans, are we failing to live up to our responsibilities to make sure that even if this, even if we can't eliminate this kind of thing, how about we make it a lot harder? How about we make it way more difficult for an 18-year-old kid to go buy an AR-15, show up at the school that kicked him out, and kill 17 kids for no reason. It's really hard, I think, to understand why we don't get moved beyond the rhetoric here, why we don't get moved beyond thoughts and prayers, why we don't get moved beyond this infernal and really frustrating argument about guns, and freedom. 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. Call and tell us, what are you willing to consider? What do you think we ought to do to make this look different in this country? You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, as always, and put your comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Joining me now in the studio is... Uh, the Detroit Today senior producer, Laura Weber-Davis, who is going to help us put this in some statistical context. There are a lot of numbers flying around out there on social media and in mainstream media. Uh, some of them are right, some of them are wrong, but I think it's important to get it right, and I think it's important to understand how bad this problem is, how prevalent uh, this issue uh, is in our country, and, and how that shapes the way we live. Laura, welcome to the studio. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I think that the numbers, <clears throat> pardon me, are really are very important 
when it comes to making sure that we're getting this conversation right. And one of the things that Stephen, you and I were talking about before the show, there's that number 18 school shootings since the beginning of 2018 that's been floating and reported everywhere. And that that is technically true. Um, guns have gone off on school grounds 18 times. Um, but the Washington Post put together a really important look at what that means, um, what a shooting is. And if you're talking about students or teachers who are being targeted for violence, there have been seven school shootings in 2018 so far, which is about one a week, um, which is obviously still far too much. And uh, if you factor in those other 11 shootings of maybe guns accidentally going off on campus or somebody who kills themselves, um, why are those guns on campuses in the first place, on, on high school campuses or school campuses in the first place, is another problem unto itself. So uh, 18 school shootings um, where people were targeted, it's seven. Uh, so I thought that that was a really important number to get across as well. But yeah. seven, one week, uh, where people are being targeted by gun with guns uh, for violent purposes. Right. And, you know, one of the things that, that really strikes me today is oftentimes this debate has been about guns generally and uh, mass shootings generally. We're talking here about schools, shootings in schools, the one place that I think everybody can agree. I don't, I don't care who you are. I, nobody believes that kids ought to go to school and worry about being shot. Since um, 2000, which is after Columbine, Columbine happened in the late 90s. Since 2000, there have been more than 130, 130 shootings at elementary, middle, and high schools and 58 others at colleges and universities. Yeah, yeah. Um, it also occurs to me that, that if you go back to the Obama administration uh, and the, the horrific shooting that took place, school shooting that took place uh, when Sandy he was Hook. president Sa- at, at Sandy Hook, um, and all of the things that were said, all of the things that were promised that would change after that, all of the things that we talked about that, okay, enough's enough. This is crazy. We've got to do something different. Fast forward to today, and there is a really, really incredible dearth of follow-up on all of those things. I mean, uh, if, if anything, um, I think gun rights and ownership has only been protected more in these past five years um, at the state and national level. And it, I think we all come back to this moment, this gut check moment. For those of us who are horrified into a place of action and wanting there to be action, um, it's it's hard to imagine that if you if action can't come out of 21st graders and 20 people in an elementary school being killed, then it seems like if nothing can happen out of that, how is anything going to happen? Right. How do we get to a place where we start thinking differently about all of this? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. We've got a lot of folks who want to sound off on this issue. That's not a surprise. Uh, But remember, what we want to talk about is what you're willing to do. What are you willing to reconsider? How are you willing to sort of act differently to make sure that we slow the pace even of these things happening? Think about that. Think about how how quickly these things sort of back-to-back unfold in front of us. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. David, in Gross Point, you're up first on Detroit Today. Stephen, it's a sad day in America. It is. 
it's difficult to even talk about this. I, you know, I have children in school too. <clears throat> Let's just say that you know my feeling is is that it's easier to buy a gun in America than it is to get you know in particular mental health care. Now the NRA might say, well, you know, it's easier to buy a refrigerator than it is to get health care too. But that's completely missing the point. And I just don't understand where our leaders are in this matter. I mean, what am I going to do about it? All I've got is a vote, and that seems insufficient. And I'll take my answer off the call, uh, or off the air. I apologize. No, Dave, I, I really appreciate the call. I really appreciate the powerful emotion that uh, that's evident in your voice and in what you're saying. And I think that's one of the things that we are all struggling with is <clears throat> what can you do other than other than vote? How do you answer a lobby as wealthy and powerful as the National Rifle Association with something that argues for more reason, more balance even, in the idea of what gun rights ought to look like. I mean, one of the ironies here, I think, is that if you know gun rights advocates, people who own guns and use them and hunt with them, they agree that this doesn't make any sense. They agree that Things have gone way too far on the other side uh, in terms of the ease with which people seem to be able to get these weapons and do awful things with them. And so where's the space that that we can sort of come together to muster enough of an answer to this power that the NRA has? David, I think uh, you're not alone in in trying to to, to figure that out. Uh, lots of lots of people, I think, are in that place. Most of the time, and they are especially in that place today uh, after things like we saw yesterday. There was a caller who couldn't stay on the line, and uh, she wanted to say that activism is important. She heard of a group organizing a huge anti-gun protest in Lansing, but hasn't heard anything since, wants to know what happened to that idea. Those are the kind of things that I think we have to start thinking about is how to organize, how to organize uh, and and sort of congeal all of the common sense that exists on this issue as a pushback to the narrative that uh, that, the, that the NRA is propagating, the idea that this is just uh, an outgrowth of uh, the freedoms that we have to, to respect with re- regard to gun owners. David, again, thanks very much for your call and your thoughts. Uh, Alex in Detroit, welcome to Detroit Today. You there, Alex? Oh, yep. Sorry, Stephen. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, I just I wanted to um, I wanted to say one of the most insidious things that the NRA is doing, and we're seeing this more and more. It was on an earlier uh, newscast here at NPR this morning. Was that churches are starting to arm themselves with guns, and that we're we're playing into fear. Christians are not called to fear, and when we start proof texting and misusing stories of the Bible, the earlier interviewee was talking about how God used weapons in the story of David and Goliath to accomplish his end, he takes that completely out of context. It wasn't about the weapon, it was about the faith of David. And if, if we were being true to our faith, we wouldn't need to succumb to fear and to stockpile weapons in our churches, which does nothing but, but plays into the hand that the NRA wants to accomplish. Uh, Christians are called to hope, and there's, there's nothing hopeful about guns. Yeah. You know, Alex, I, I have to admit, I haven't I haven't seen much about that narrative. I've heard a little bit about it, but but uh, the idea that that more arms 
are the answer. In other words, that you answer guns with guns uh, is is a narrative that that has existed for a really long time here in this country and helps explain, in fact, uh, the prevalence we see of weapons today, uh, the resistance that we see to legislation that would that would try to rein that in. And and you're right. I think it's really important to answer that narrative uh, very forcefully and to say, look. A church? How is a church a place that, that you ought to have a gun? A school? How is a school a place that anyone ought to have a gun? There, there needs to be uh, a reasonable restraint on this right, just like there is on every other right we have. If you think of the, the, the things you cannot do with speech in this country— uh, as a restrictions on the First Amendment. Uh, it makes no sense the way that we are interpreting uh, the Second Amendment right now. So, Alex, I really appreciate uh, the call and the thoughts. Let's go to Vince in Riley Center. Vince, welcome to Detroit. Hi, uh, hi Steve. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Sure. Uh, the one question that I have, and I am right on board with what you guys are doing here, but uh, when are we going to get a bellyful as a people to put our lawmakers to task. Uh, I don't know phone numbers. I don't know addresses. Maybe that's my own fault. I haven't done my homework. But maybe you guys have phone numbers and addresses uh, that you can make public on the air. We can get action groups, because uh, I agree with what Laura said. I mean, <laughs> after Sandy Hook, if, if we can't make something happen after that, uh, I said that years ago. Yeah. If nothing happens after that. It's a, it's a sad situation. Now it just gets sadder and sadder. Well, the lives, just yesterday alone, the number of lives that were affected, is just astronomical. Uh, real quick, uh, I have a child. I am 58 years old. I started late. I have a 10-year-old boy. He's in fourth grade. <laughs> I pulled him out of public school last year in third grade because of bullying, and he got continually messed with and messed with. And now I'm, sa- I'm happy to say that a year later, we're almost a year out of it, He's doing better, and he's coming around. But it's it starts at home, yeah. and it starts with the lawmakers, and we've got to get together. So if we can flood Washington and these lawmakers with uh, uh, holding their feet to the coals, say, hey, let's go. There's things that can happen. I don't have all the answers. I wish I did. But, my goodness, these people are... are <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're way off. We're way off on the other side of the argument. I mean... Uh, the, the the idea that the NRA uh, and and gun advocates uh, have complete run of the argument is it's craziness uh, and and you're right that what we need is to to mobilize and and make it clear especially to lawmakers that people are watching and expecting that they will do something different. Let's think back to the Vegas shooting and what was discussed after that in terms of passing a law that would deal with bump stocks, which was one of the things that the shooter in that, uh, in that instance did. Uh, did we follow up with, with uh, Congress when they said they were going to do that? And, and to my understanding, that it hasn't been done since that. Uh, it, it got nowhere. And so why is that true? And if it is true that, uh, that they haven't done it, then why aren't we holding them accountable for it? Why aren't people running scared in Washington because they promised something that they couldn't deliver. Um, you know, I, I, I think there is, there is this sort of feeling of helplessness that we have because 
you're 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 arguing here against such a powerful lobby, but there is also the helplessness of inaction that exists uh, among people who want better gun legislation. How do you step up uh, to make sure that uh, that that your representatives hear you about making this better? Uh, again, thanks very very much uh, for the call and the comments. Let's go to Aaron in Detroit. Aaron, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Hi. And uh, and uh, I want to be clear. I am in total agreement with all the things that's being said about we need to do better with uh, regulating guns and all of that. But I'm, I'm a 64-year-old. I've, I've been through the 60s. I'm a hardened person. Uh, uh, and this is starting to uh, melt me with the, the tragedy. Uh, uh, but what I'm offended by is we talk about the fact that at the end of the process with these situations is the gun, but nobody's talking about the mechanism that happens before the gun is picked up. We have people and we have created a society where people are thinking that this is what I want and need to do. Mm -hmm. What about that? Why is that not being talked about? Because when you remove the gun, if you still have that mechanism happening, it may not be as uh, uh, gross numbers, uh, uh, but if people believe that their best option is to slaughter other people, they will find a way to do it. Yeah, no, we need I need to talk about that, uh, Aaron. There's no question that uh, um, there's no question that you're right about that. That that it's not just about weapons. That it's not just about the Second Amendment. Uh, but but you i think it all goes part and parcel that that we're not we're not thinking about this uh, as something that that can change we are sort of uh, accepting the idea that well, it can't change that the second amendment is is sacrosanct and and can't be uh, can't be uh, interpreted in a, in a way other than to to allow senseless uh, distri- distribution of weapons and that for instance, we can't do anything about mental illness. I think there's a similar narrative that exists around that. And and you think of the state of Michigan, for instance, uh, a place that absolutely shredded the infrastructure to deal with mental illness in a reasonable way 25, uh, 30 years ago. Look at look at what we deal with now as a result. Look at what we deal with in other states that did the same thing. You're absolutely right. This all has to sort of happen at the same time. It's all got to move together um, the question is, I guess, when we're going to see enough that we that we decide to do it. Uh, Aaron, as always, thanks for the call. Let's go to Charlie in Detroit. Charlie, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Um, I, I don't know what to say. I, I've been a rifle owner, hunter most of my life, raised three kids. None of them really have interest in it. But, uh, you know, I'd be willing to give up my rifles and hunt with a bow and arrow if I thought it would save a kid. It's it just ridiculous i mean we've lost our way as people and if we can't wake up collectively and say hey we got a problem here with handguns mental health and we really need to address it it's just going to keep happening and it almost makes you want to say hey maybe i need to go somewhere else i mean i love my country but this is getting nuts so so charlie one of the things i think is 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 really important is for uh, us to talk about gun owners and uh, and and people and gun advocates uh, and I'm glad you called to to participate in the conversation, but I guess I'm convinced that that your rights uh, to be a legal gun owner, to hunt with with weapons, to to do the things that you're doing, don't have to be changed in order to deal with the people who are misusing 
that right. In other words, I, I guess I'm not convinced that you have to give up your guns so that your kids and mine can be safe. But but I wonder whether whether people believe that anymore. I wonder whether whether that's still uh, sort of a, a driving imperative. Uh, Charlie, I, I, I want you to expand a little bit more on that. Well, I I don't think that my giving up my guns is going to do it, obviously, because everybody else would have to. Right. I guess I'm just saying I don't know what to do. And if I could do that and it would help, I'd be happy to do that. You know, right. um, I mean, I remember when 9-11 happened. I had three little boys in an elementary school, and the school district's answer was to ask the parents to come and guard the doors. I told my wife, no freaking way. I called the school board, and I said, you're crazy. You know, this is what law enforcement should be doing. I mean, we're so busy trying to catch terrorists. Why aren't we watching, you know, the mentally unstable people online like this guy, you know, our law enforcement to try to stop them? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think, it, it, as you point out, all of the... All of the thinking, all of the instinctive action here is sort of turned on its head. And again, I think it's turned on its head by the, the, the power of the lobby here, the, 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 the incredible influence that the NRA has over all of that stuff. Um, uh, and, and I don't know how you change that other than to, to, to get money um, uh, on, on the other side of, of the argument uh, as, a, as a way of of saying uh, that, that this is not the only way we can do that. This is not the only way we can attack this thing. Uh, let's go to Annette in West Bloomfield. Annette, welcome to Detroit today. You there, Annette? Hello? Yes. Go ahead, Annette. Oh, hi. Uh, we have always had in the Jewish community a person at the synagogue, not on every Saturday necessarily, but on the high holidays, the very religious holidays, uh-huh. and also at the school systems that we have all Jewish children. Why don't we have security guards that check the parameter perimeter? Pardon me of the school system, lock down all the doors, and carry a gun? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that may be part of the part of the solution, and I mean, certainly in in cities like Detroit, where we used to see school shootings quite frequently. For instance, when I covered Detroit public schools in the mid '90s, that that was a pretty uh, frequent occurrence. Something I had to write about a lot, and now that's something you don't see as much of, and and the level of security in those schools looks real different today than it did back then maybe that's part of the maybe that's part of the, the conversation as well uh, you know these suburban and rural schools seem to have less security than urban schools do maybe that's one of the things that's driving this but but I think uh, it all of course comes back to the ease with which someone can get a gun go to a school and cause an incident like this even if there is a guard even if there are metal detectors uh, there is something about the circulation of guns that I think is central to this conversation. Okay, um, on the Facebook page, on the WDET Facebook page, we have put up a list of contact info for Michigan politicians. You can also go find that at WDET.org. Maybe that's a start. Pick up the phone. Let them know what you think about what happened yesterday in Parkland, Florida. Let them know what you think gun laws ought to look like. How ought we be interpreting the Second Amendment in this country. It really is up to us at this point to make our voices heard and to get our representatives to do what we think needs to be done. 
Up next, we're going to talk about the history of housing segregation in Detroit and talk about a new report that that discusses how we live with that segregation today. Stay with us on Detroit Today. <laughs> 